Weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thank you for joining me. We all know Florida is famous for its magical theme parks and pristine beaches, but for those who seek adventure off the beaten path, there's a fantastic resource offering a daily look into the hidden gems you can find only in your state. This online publication, appropriately titled Only in Your State, features over 100,000 articles highlighting those roads less traveled and unique natural wonders in each of the country's 50 distinctive states. For the purposes of Our Weird State, I sat down with travel writer Marissa Roman, who shared with us some highlights from her Florida explorations. Aside from being a true travel junkie, she's quite the avid writer. Marissa's articles have appeared in a number of notable publications. She has three completed screenplays and published a collection of short stories and poems. Marissa is always on the move and has lived all over the United States, including a decade in South Florida. She's no stranger to adventure, having spent the majority of the year in her self-converted sprinter van. It's clear Marissa has a passion for both writing and exploration, which makes her the consummate storyteller. But I wondered, which came first? I think I want to say my passion for writing. It started when I was very, very young. I was in my mom's uh, advertising office creating an office newsletter. And uh, I was very young, third, fourth, fifth grade. Wow. And since then I went to, yeah, <laughs> I went to school uh, for English and creative writing. And then the travel came after. It started with wanting to get out there and explore and see what's beyond my town and my city. And then realizing I can combine my passion for writing and my passion for travel and just create this very adventurous, satisfying career. Didn't you go to New York University and then you came down here, right, to Florida International University? Yes, correct. What actually yeah, brought you to FIU? Well, I was originally living in Miami. I lived down in Miami for about 11 or 12 years. And I went up to NYU to take part in their creative writing program. And then I came back down, got my degree from FIU and ended up staying in Miami for another, maybe about four or five years. Is that what gave you the street cred for telling these off-the-beaten-path stories of Florida's hidden gems? I think that was definitely the catalyst, spending so much time in South Florida. And then eventually when I started traveling full-time, I was able to really branch out beyond South Florida and explore a lot of the pockets of the state that maybe people don't hear about or don't know about, and then just growing more knowledgeable with each trip and each adventure that I took. It's kind of incredible, isn't it? Because I'm a native and I always lived in my own little South Florida pocket. And when I branched out through the state, I was shocked at how different Florida is. So it is quite an eye opener and there's never a shortage of stories. That's for sure. Right. Absolutely. And I think it also, it makes a difference because I didn't grow up in Florida. I grew up in New Jersey. So I feel like whenever you move to another state, you have a different sense of adventure versus growing up in the state. And you're, you're kind of used to what you're used to and your surroundings. And maybe you don't 
adventure the way you do when you go to a new state and you're like, okay, how much can I take in? What are the things that maybe people don't think about visiting or the towns that maybe you wouldn't think to spend a weekend in and you have that sense of adventure, I feel like, which is really unique. So tell me how you connected with Only in Your State. Only in Your State. So it was just an original job posting uh, for travel writing. And it was about a year after the website launched. They launched in 2015. And I started working with them in 2016. So it was still relatively new. And I began as the Georgia writer eventually was offered to write for Florida. And I've been with them ever since. And it's just been so it's just such a great company to work for. And you literally are learning something new every day, which I think for somebody that likes writing and likes travel as much as I do, staying surprised with your work is something that I can benefit from. It's very inspiring. You don't get burnout because there's always something new to learn. Tell me where you find these stories or how you find these stories. Do you get recommendations? We do, yes. We actually have a nomination page that readers can use to submit their own favorite restaurants, hidden gems, small businesses, natural wonders, places that they love that they feel should be highlighted on the website, and maybe places that haven't been featured publicly or that deserve some recognition. And we we love those stories. So the nominations, for sure, we read each and every one. And then outside of that, it's sometimes I'll just do a deep dive on, you know, researching Florida. And sometimes it's as simple as pulling up a Google map and, and saying, hey, what are some small towns that we've never featured before? How can I highlight them? Are they close to where I live? Can I go visit? So yeah, it's definitely a combination of reader submissions and just personal research. And that's where the adventurous side of you comes in when you can hit the road and actually go be boots on the ground and visit. Yes, that is the the best part. So when you research a location, is there some sort of checklist or, you know, things you have to tick off to make sure that it's worthy of, of highlighting? I mean, some people may nominate something, but really just want to get publicity or have an ulterior motive, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. I would say there's no unofficial checklist, but just doing initial research and making sure that there's some sort of hook. You know, what makes this place stand out? Why should we feature it? What do we think the locals will love about it? How can we get people to visit if we write about it? Is it just going to be, you know, your regular run of the mill chain restaurant, which we usually don't feature? Or is it a place that deserves recognition that maybe is something out of the box that when you think about Florida, you wouldn't normally expect an attraction like this. So yeah, there's definitely got to be a some sort of hook that will entice the reader to want to go visit. Well, knowing that you've done that, let's get into some unique stories of Florida's legends and hauntings. Now, some of these places I'm sure we can still, people can still go to. Let's start at the very tip of Florida in Pensacola. Let's talk about the Pensacola Lighthouse. What makes this lighthouse unique? Well, for starters, people have said it's one of the most haunted lighthouses in America, which I feel like it has having that claim to fame uh, already sets it apart. 
from all the other lighthouses. Travel Channel has been there. Sci-Fi Ghost Hunters have been there. And using their own electromagnetic energy uh, machines, they've determined it to have paranormal activity. They were actually, the Pensacola Lighthouse was, they were doing ghost tours, the Keeper's Quarters ghost hunts. And it was for guests 12 and up. And you could actually tour the lighthouse with a professional guide. And they would tell you the stories of these hauntings and all the paranormal activity and a lot of the spirits that they say still haunt the lighthouse. I found in a 2019 article by Cody Long a quote from one of the night tour coordinators, Rob Booth, who said, We don't say they're haunted. We say that we're occupied by six people who really like it here and chose to stay with us, which I thought was hysterical. (laughs) Yes, I do like that. And just to be um, upfront, this is located at a naval air station, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, so you do have to, you know, you can't just go there. I mean, you have to have some kind of permission or admission to get in. Yes. I did find some of the spirits that actually haunt the place. I don't know if you're familiar with these, but there's an Ellen Mueller who grew up there and even got married at the lighthouse and is said that she died giving birth. That's one. There's another one, Sam Lawrence. I'm not sure why he haunts the place, but he was the head keeper in 1877. And then there's two children, Lizzie and Joey, who both died of yellow fever, which, you know, yellow fever claimed a lot of people back then. And then there's Thomas and Raymond, who were runaway slaves, who were hung and buried on the property. So they think these are the six people that they talk about. And they're in different places all throughout the lighthouse. Yeah. I'm sure they're friendly spirits. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't be offering uh, tours if they weren't, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Have you ever been there? I have not. No. Now I want to go. Now it's like definite road trip, SoFlo road trip. Let's go way south now. We're going to go to the as far south as we can possibly go to Key West. To Captain Tony's Saloon, which is very popular. Now, this was previously a city morgue, right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, it was originally used as, a, as an ice house and then also doubled as Key West's very first city morgue. And what kind of ghostly encounters happened there? Well, actually, it started back, uh, there's an urban legend about the lady in blue. And for anybody that has never been to Captain Tony's saloon, there's a tree that's growing right in the middle of the saloon. And as the legend goes, the tree was known as the hanging tree. And they executed people back in the day, mostly pirates. But there was one woman who was hanged there as well. She was known as the lady in blue because of the dress she was wearing when she died. She was hanged because she murdered her family. And uh, she's said to still haunt the saloon that anybody who sees a lady in a blue dress or, you know, an orb, a light orb of blue, that is said to be the lady in blue. Let's move over to the Bellamy Bridge. Now, That has its own eerie history. Where is the Bellamy Bridge located? It's located up in the Panhandle in Mariana, Florida. Oh, back to the Panhandle. Okay. Yeah. Look at that. You can go to the lighthouse and then hit the bridge. Get all your hauntings in a day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So tell me what, tell me the story behind the Bellamy Bridge. 
So this one has an interesting history because there's an urban legend and then there's the real story. The bridge itself was built back in 1914 and it is considered the oldest steel frame bridge in the entire state. And the urban legend involves a woman named Elizabeth Bellamy that the legend states that before the bridge was constructed, Elizabeth Bellamy's dress caught fire in an accident on her wedding day and she died three days later. As the legend goes, Elizabeth Bellamy was buried near the site where the bridge was built later on, and she haunts the bridge because she's forever searching for her husband that she was never able to marry. So that's the story behind it in terms of the urban legend. The real story... Yeah, let me just add to that one second. I, I also found out in my research that supposedly... Who knows if this is true, but supposedly Elizabeth in her vows, she ended with an extra line that said, I will love you always and forever. Never will I leave you. So how eerie mm. is that? <laughs> now, who that. knows who is who is recording that? Who wrote that down? Who knows? Right. But it just <laughs> right. adds that extra eerie layer to the urban legend. Oh, most definitely. Yes. All right. So what's the what's the real story? The real story is Elizabeth and her husband, Samuel, they were married for three years and she actually died from fever in 1837. So three years after they were married and her infant son died a week later from the very same illness that Elizabeth passed away from. And Samuel became extremely depressed, turned to alcohol and then committed suicide 15 years after her death. And he was not buried next to Elizabeth, despite that being his last request. And so sightings of Elizabeth and sometimes Samuel are what people, when they visited the bridge, uh, were reporting. The real story is way more tragic, I think, than the urban legend. Let's move on to jailhouses. Just like I think lighthouses are haunted, jailhouses, I'm sure, are full of spirits. Yes. Tell us about a haunted jail. Uh, well, there is a haunted jail up in St. Augustine, which... Of course, uh, St. Augustine. No surprise there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no surprise there. The Now it, it's a museum people can tour, but it was built back in 1891 and added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1987. And it it is a relatively small jail. They only had space for around 70 prisoners at the time. And even being that small, they had a maximum security area with a death row cell. And there were actually eight men who were hanged, who were on death row and hanged within the jail's operation. But... As the history goes, it is stated that overall there were really poor conditions uh, within the jail compared to obviously today's standards. There was a lot of violence, mandatory labor, disease, plenty of deaths that occurred there outside of the executions, which is what leads to the reports of paranormal activity over the years. And actually visitors have reported their own paranormal experiences when they tour the jail, which I think is what adds to the popularity of people visiting now. Visitors reported hearing 
footsteps, taking photos and seeing light orbs when the photos come out, and even just walking through the jail feeling unexplained cold spots. So those types of things, which is why I think it's still one of the most popular places in St. Augustine to visit. What are you working on right now? Right now, just working with Only in Your State, we are uh, working on some summer attractions. So uh, fun places that people can visit, maybe swim or hidden beaches. We do a lot of road trips. So we'll curate road trips throughout each state so people can just take one article that we've written in terms of a road trip and have a whole curated weekend of fun. I have to admit, I have shared your content on our social media pages, and I have loved some of those road trip things or haunted campsites or things that you can do for travel. It is a fantastic resource, particularly for this podcast, but you know, people need to get to know their own state. You think you know it, but you don't really know it. Or perhaps you are traveling to a different state because only in your state represents all the 50 states, right? So how, yeah. how does someone sign up for it? Well, you can choose which state you'd like to follow in terms of receiving a daily newsletter. And from there, you'll get curated articles right to your inbox. And uh, also just going to the website, onlyinyourstate.com. You can search by state. You can search, you know, we'll, we'll do bucket lists. We'll do ultimate guides. We'll do road trips. And then we do focused articles on natural wonders, restaurants, hidden gems. So really it's kind of, you can spend hours on the website just yeah. <laughs> planning your own travel, which I think is the best part. And I myself look forward to it every day, every time it pops up and I see another story. Oh, it's kind of hard for me because I'm saving them and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And then I go back. So it's a fantastic resource. Yeah, thank you. I do. Yeah, only in your state. Honestly, it's, um, you know, it's so much more than just a travel website because really getting to know a lot of these writers that represent all 50 states, they take we take what we're doing very seriously in terms of providing a travel resource for people, you know, because travel should be fun. It should be exciting. It should be new, adventurous. So we want that to be reflected in these pieces that we're writing. Marissa, thank you for being with us on the SoFlo Weird Show podcast. We do hope to have you back. Maybe this could be something that you can keep coming back to our listeners and giving us ideas on, on places to go or new finds. That would be fantastic. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. That was Marissa Roman, a travel writer for Only in Your State, giving us the lowdown on some of Florida's urban legends and haunted sites. To recap, Marissa talked about the Pensacola Lighthouse, located on the Naval Air Station in Pensacola, which is an active military base. She also talked about Captain Tony's saloon in Key West, the Bellamy Bridge in Mariana, and the old St. John's County Jail in St. Augustine. We'll have Marissa back on a future episode to talk about a SoFlo road trip that's weirdo-worthy. If you'd like to discover what's in your backyard or anybody else's backyard, go to onlyinyourstate.com. Now, since we're talking about roads less traveled, let's veer off into those byways and side streets where nocturnal phantoms appear translucent, 
hovering headlights stalk you and screams emanate from dense woods along foreboding roadways. The next few stories are from Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson, from his book, Weird Florida. Phantom Horse on Celery Avenue. Celery Avenue runs between the St. John's River and the town of Sanford. Before 1940, this was the celery capital of the nation, and both sides of this avenue were lined with acres of celery fields. The east end of the road cuts through an old Indian grounds, where there is still a well-preserved burial mound. For years, we have heard stories about a phantom horse on this road, but the only historical account connected to a horse is on the west end. It is in this area where a giant horse is allegedly buried beneath the road. The big horse, which stood 22 hands high and weighed 3,200 pounds, belonged to a local blacksmith named Sly Ernest. When the horse died, it required a tractor to haul his heavy corpse out of the stable to his burial pit beside Celery Avenue. Since that time, the road has been widened several times and the horse's grave has been covered over. Whether this indignity to an equine has anything to do with the phantom horse story is anybody's guess but there are stories. The following letters are eyewitness accounts to these urban legends. I live in Altamont, and one day a friend of mine was coming to see me. She was driving down that road from the Osteen Bridge in Sanford because the traffic is easier. Anyway, she did not want to ask about what she saw because she thought it would sound crazy, so she asked me to tell you. It was about 9 or 9.30, and she was driving down that road and noticed something to her right on the side of the road. She turned and looked and said that what she saw was a pure white horse with an Indian on his back, and the Indian had a long feathered headdress on. She said it was like translucent. It was white, but you could see through it. It ran along beside her car for about a quarter of a mile and just vanished. She said that she was doing about 40, and whatever it was kept up with her speed. Have you ever heard of any ghosts on this road, or has anybody else ever said anything about seeing something like this? That story was submitted by Linda. Okay, so this is going to sound nuts, but I know what I saw. I was going down Celery Avenue coming back from the beach, and it was dark. I was about halfway down the road when a big white horse dashed across in front of my car. It did not seem like a solid horse. What I mean is that I could see through it. I've thought about it. Maybe it was a trick of my headlights, but the horse was real. I hit the brakes and looked quickly in the direction of where he had gone, but did not see him. I don't know if it was a ghost or what, but I saw something strange. That was a story submitted by Robin. Greenbrier Light Road. The real name for this road is just Greenbrier Road, and it runs east of Switzerland, Florida. Yep. That's really the name of this peaceful little hamlet in St. John's County, but don't expect to see any Alps in this Switzerland. On Greenbrier Road, there is a light that chases cars. It looks like the headlight of a motorcycle, and according to reports, it usually follows behind a car at a distance of about 300 feet. Although the mysterious ball of light never passes a car, it has been known to sit atop a vehicle until reaching a certain point on the road, whereupon it vanishes. In 1987, the light grabbed the interest of several science experts who went there to determine what it was. That same year, the St. John's County Sheriff's Department also investigated reports about the weird light. 
investigations would come up with no explanation. It's not in an area that would normally produce swamp gas, as in other cases involving ghost light phenomena. According to folklore, the light is supposed to be the headlight of a young phantom motorcyclist. Racing on the road one night, he lost control of his bike and was decapitated by a guy wire supporting a telephone pole. Why this particular mode of dying would attract the light to cars is not explained. Only the cyclist knows that. We went to Greenbrier Road to check it out and were a little disappointed. It's not at the location described in various books, nor was it a dirt road. It is a fairly heavily traveled asphalt road. Since we visited during the daytime, we had no encounters with a ball of light, although other people claim to have been pursued by this weird phenomena. A few years ago, I went to see Greenbrier Road at night with three of my friends. We had heard stories about that light that people see, and we wanted to see it. We drove up and down the road for like 40 minutes trying to see something, but never saw anything until we got ready to leave. My friend Tom was driving, and he looked in the rearview mirror, and he said, What is that? We looked behind us, and there was a headlight of a motorcycle coming up fast. We slowed down a little and thought that the biker would pass us, but then just as it got right behind us about 100 feet, the light went out. There was no motorcycle or anything. We turned around and went back, but didn't see anything. I really think we saw a ghost of that guy that was killed on his motorcycle on that road. That story was submitted by Todd. Everybody knew about the strange light out on Greenbrier Road, so we went out there to see if we could see it. We did see it, but at first thought it was a one-eyed car coming down the road. It did not move toward us very fast. We were facing it, and it kind of came up about a tenth of a mile in front of our car and just sat there, wavering or hovering over the road. We were facing east, and we turned around in the middle of the road, and when we started driving toward the west, we looked behind us, and the light was following our car. Just before we got to the end of Greenbrier Road, it disappeared. We turned around and went back, and sure enough, it popped up way down the road, and again came to about a tenth of a mile in front and hovered again. We repeated this four times, and each time the light did the same thing. We tried to figure out what it was, but we have no idea. It looked about the size of a basketball and glowed pretty bright, not hazy or faint, but a very bright whitish glow. That story was submitted by Paul. Old Red Eyes of Kingsley Plantation Road. The Kingsley Plantation on St. George Island, northeast of Jacksonville, has a strange past, and according to legend, a wicked red-eyed spirit that has lingered around these parts for nearly two centuries. Zephaniah Kingsley established the historic plantation on St. George Island in 1813 for the purpose of growing cotton, sugarcane, citrus fruits, and corn. Over time, the planter became quite wealthy and eventually owned 32,000 acres and more than 200 slaves working for him on four plantations. He had an unusually benevolent relationship with his slaves. They worked under a task system, which meant that once the daily work was done, they were free to take care of their own business, like tending their gardens or going fishing. Kingsley even married one of his slaves in an African ceremony, a union that produced three children. His wife, Anna, played a major part in the plantation's management and eventually became one of the wealthiest women in East Florida. When Florida became a U.S. territory in 1821, 
Kingsley became concerned with federal laws that placed harsh restrictions on slaves and discriminated against free persons of color. This prompted him in 1837 to move his family and slaves to Haiti, where they established their own colony. The Kingsley Plantation House, though, is still standing on 25 acres of the original property, along the ruins of several slave quarters in a half-moon-shaped row. The narrow, up-paved road to the Kingsley House is scenic, but a little bumpy, and, at the edge of dark, downright frightening. This is the domain of Old Red Eyes. If you go there, some say you can see him in your rearview mirror or hear the sounds of his victims in the woods along the road. Old Red Eyes is the wicked spirit of a slave who had raped and killed several of the plantation's female slaves. He was caught by the other slaves and hanged from the oak tree near the entrance to the plantation. Old Red Eyes is not the only haunting business at the Kingsley Plantation. There are stories about a woman in a white dress seen on the porch of the main house. However, she shows up only in photographs. This ghost is said to be Zephaniah Kingsley's African wife, Anna. In the yard of the house, you can hear the screams of a child coming from the old well. Allegedly, the child fell into the well and drowned. We checked the well but heard no screams, perhaps because it now has a heavy cover on it, which prevents ghost hunters from leaning over and falling in. The eeriest things we witnessed were some twisted trees and vines hanging over the narrow road. Seeing them, one can easily understand how a ghost could be conjured up in these woods, especially if you're driving there at dusk. I saw Old Red Eye several years ago. I have a friend that lives just off that road and had taken him home from Jacksonville one night. It was about midnight, and after dropping him off, I was driving back down that road and looked in the side mirror of my car and saw two red lights. At first, I thought it was the taillights of another car, but they were too close together. I slowed down a little and watched them in the mirror, and it looked like they were coming closer. I knew that I had not passed another car, and it did not seem like a car would be coming down that dark road backwards. I stopped and stuck my head out the window and looked back, and there was nothing there. Then I looked in the mirror again, and there they were. And they were right behind my car. I gunned it and raced out of there. And that story is from Jan. I think Old Red Eye's name was Gauntlet Jack or something like that. Anyway, he caused a slave uprising and he was hanged from a tree on the road that goes to the Kingsley Plantation. He can usually be seen after dark. Most of the people who see him are women and they only see his eyes following behind their car. In the woods, you can hear people screaming. They say it's the souls of all the people that Red Eyes is holding hostage. I've never seen him, but I have heard weird sounds, like people crying coming out of the woods. I have heard of people who have seen old red eyes, too. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. If you want more strange Florida stories, be sure to visit us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us by searching at SoFloWeird. And please, join our SoFlo Weirdos Facebook group, where we share Florida's dubious tales every week. As a fan of the SoFlo Weird Show, there are many ways you can become involved. Our goal is to create a community of weirdos who celebrate all things strange in the Sunshine State. Here's Michelle to tell you how you can join our team. Are you a super fan and weirdo to the core? Then consider joining our SoFlo Weird Street Team. 
Get free stickers and represent us on social media with hashtag SoFloWeirdStreetTeam. Just send us a message on social or through our website and you'll be on your way to street team status. Like what you hear on this podcast? Then consider giving us a review and please share with your friends. If you wish to support the SoFlo team in our freakish mission to entertain your insatiable appetite for weird stories, then go to our website, pick up some SoFlo swag, or buy us a coffee, and we'll give you a shout out on the show. Thanks, Michelle. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlo Weird Show. Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson, and Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody. <laughs>